From PQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hi, my name is Catherine Brady, and I am going to be reading a story from my new collection of short stories, which is entitled The Mechanics of Falling and Other Stories. This is my third collection, and my previous story collection won the Flannery O'Connor Award for Short Fiction, and my stories have appeared in literary journals and in Best American Short Stories 2004. I wanted to say one thing about the story I'm about to read. It is a story that deliberately uses repetition. So the sentences in the first paragraph are each going to begin subsequent sections in the story. I'm trying to work a little bit like poem forms that use a repeated line. And the title of the story is Slender Little Thing. A boy knocked her up at 19 and left her, and that was that. Don't think of it as a door slammed shut, because Cerise found work, the only kind for which she was qualified, but a good kind. Raising someone else's children, all that was demanded of her, a cooing love and light housekeeping. Nine hours a day, Cerise lived like a swank, and her little girl went to daycare, and sometimes to relatives, if Cerise had to stay late or spend a weekend with the Griffin's two boys. She loved those boys, and Mason and Connor loved her. She had some hand in their shining futures. With the boys, Cerise had to do things their mother's way, striving to hover near that mark, as if she was never really alone with them. And this was what she could save back, hoard, for Sophie. That delicious feeling of going home on the bus to just us two. After both boys started high school, the Griffins helped Cerise to get a place at the nursing home as what they called a personal care technician, which didn't require taking courses or administering the correct doses of medication. She could croon an angry old man into holding still for a sponge bath, intimacy to which both of them must submit. Cerise had practice at the patients she needed once Sophie turned 16. Her marvel of a girl woke up one day to rail as if all along she'd been waiting for the chance to lodge a complaint, and when Cerise came home from work, she'd better hear it and not flinch. Girls went through a phase of hating their mothers. Sophie was so smart, Cerise didn't have to worry when she found the marijuana tucked inside a sock in her daughter's top drawer. When her daughter brought home a scruffy man of twenty who might pocket her virginity but could never outwit Sophie's careful plans for college when her daughter tried to badger her into screaming back. One day, Cerise and Sophie would be friends again, and don't think of it. Don't think of it as a door slammed shut, because Cerise found work, the only kind for which she was qualified, but a good kind, raising someone else's children, all that was demanded of her, a cooing love and light housekeeping. After Dale took off on her, she had tried to get her GED, Tuesday night, she took adult ed in a high school classroom that smelled of sweat. By the end of every class, the pages of her workbook were flecked with oily bits of pencil eraser. It did not help to try hard. Her eyes could not align numbers in columns or prevent letters from coagulating. These things evaded her, even if she pounced on them. Working as a nanny came easy to Cerise, though Mr. and Mrs. Griffin were both doctors and could not always come home when they said they would. Mason was two years older than Sophie, Connor a year younger. Cerise had a sweet-smelling new baby to hold, and Mason was such a talker and planner, making forts from sofa cushions or building a tower of wood blocks and telling her all the time what he was thinking. Four years old, and his skull was stuffed with facts. 
When he was at kindergarten and the baby was napping, she could sneak a cigarette on the deck and then watch TV, because if she didn't get to all the housekeeping, Mrs. Griffin would say, the children come first. Mrs. Griffin took great care over everything that had to do with the two boys. Connor must not be left to cry. If Mason misbehaved, Cerise could give him a time-out for two minutes and no more. When she fed the boys, she should consult a list of nutritious foods taped to the refrigerator door. Cerise felt shored up by all that transmitted knowledge. Cerise could mark the passage of time, the years of Sophie and the boys growing up, by the shift in her morning bus schedule. When Mason started first grade, she had to arrive earlier to get him ready for school. She had the use of the Griffin's car by then, and Mrs. Griffin did not mind if she brought Sophie with her and dropped her off after she delivered Mason. Sophie got to sit in front beside her. Mrs. Griffin did not allow her children in the front seat. Once Sophie started grade school, Cerise could take her by bus before she arrived at the Griffin's. A few years later, Sophie could take the bus alone, and Cerise left her at the bus stop. Before they went their separate ways in the morning, she and Sophie locked their pinky fingers together and tugged five times, chanting L-O-V-E-U before letting go. They were still doing this when Sophie started middle school and could leave the apartment after Cerise, her keychain clipped to her backpack. Cerise would wake Sophie before she left for work, and Sophie would groggily snake a hand out from under the covers, her pinky finger already hooked. When Sophie got into Lowell, the academic high school, she had to get up earlier to take two buses across town. Only after Cerise got the job at the nursing home did they again leave the house at the same time. Maybe Sophie had started to be fussy in middle school, and Cerise just hadn't been there to witness it. Sophie would stand before the mirror, wailing that she had nothing to wear, and demand that Cerise produce something, when she had been doing her own laundry since she was eleven. Cerise made the mistake once of checking the dryer for clean clothes. Already late for work, she threw the clothes into the laundry basket to dump at her daughter's feet. Sophie had a fit. Dirty clothes went into the laundry basket, not clean ones, and Cerise knew it. She knew Sophie couldn't wear anything contaminated with all those germs and bodily fluids, but she just didn't care. Cerise went out to her bus stop in a huff, and Sophie dashed off to hers, sure she'd get a tardy on her report card, and all because of her mother. Cerise's bus came first, and as it passed the corner where Sophie waited, she glimpsed her daughter, a slender little thing in an oversized sweatshirt and tight jeans. Cerise could catalog in intimate detail the contents of her daughter's heavy backpack, textbooks neatly covered with brown paper, spiral notebooks labeled by subject, pens and a calculator secured in separate compartments, all of it organized as if to invite an inspection. Cerise pressed her palm to the glass. They'd never fussed over goodbyes, and Sophie had no reason to look up. Nine hours a day, Cerise lived like a swank, and her little girl went to daycare and sometimes to relatives if Cerise had to stay late or spend a weekend with the Griffin's two boys. The boys had done so well. Mason was at Harvard, studying to be an architect, and Connor was musical. Cerise was still invited to his piano recitals. Sophie was a bright kid, too, a math whiz. Her father must have been smarter than Cerise thought. Sophie saw numbers in color— the number one was a pale blue, two a sunny yellow, three a kelly green. If she looked at a license plate, the numbers left a tracery of color in her mind. 
If she studied an algebraic equation, a shimmer of color hinted at the answer. The boys grew up sloppy. Cerise was forever picking up after them. But Sophie was neat. Her clothes were hung in the closet. She never forgot her house key. She would rewrite a homework assignment if a page got torn or wrinkled. She did not ask why her father had left, only where he was, as if he were one more thing she must keep in its place. Cerise could not tell her where he had gone. Cerise was home now when Sophie returned from school. Her shift at the nursing home ended at four. And if Sophie wasn't working that afternoon, she came straight home to shower, to scour herself after riding the bus, holding on to a rail that hundreds of hands touched each day. When Cerise was making dinner, Sophie demanded to know if she had washed her hands before touching the food. She read the ingredients on every package, refused to eat meat, demanded to know if gum contained any animal byproducts. The window in her bedroom had settled badly in its frame, and she stuffed rags at its perimeter so spiders would not get into the room through the cracks. When she went to bed, she rolled a towel at the base of the door so spiders could not come in that way while she slept. If she found a spider, she would call for Cerise to come and squash it. Cerise always answered this summons. It was the way Sophie called for her. Cerise knew from work which needs could be pared away from a person and which must be met. You could always recognize it in someone's voice, even if they could speak only gibberish. Of all the things sick old people could let go of, had to. Shame was among the last. But even if that went, some need, some last small thing, took its place. One of her patients, Mrs. Andrews, who smelled faintly of urine even after her bath, would meekly raise her hips for her diapers to be changed, but cry if Cerise could not find her tube of lipstick. For another, Mr. Peterson, Cerise was careful to tuck a towel around his waist and avert her face when she soaped the creases of his groin. She had seen her co-workers slap an ambulatory patient down on a stool in the communal shower and efficiently strip off clothes as if they were plucking feathers from dead chickens. Cerise was never hasty. Sophie was not closing her fist over some last small thing, not relinquishing but multiplying her needs. No longer was she satisfied for Cerise simply to crush a spider's body with a balled-up tissue. Sophie was sure that it had been a female spider, its body full of microscopic eggs, and Cerise must wash the wall with disinfectant, or hundreds of baby spiders would hatch and come after Sophie. How could Sophie allow that man to touch her? Cerise knew from experience what a man his age wanted from a 16-year-old girl, a stock boy at the drugstore where Sophie worked after school, a high school dropout, and the one time Cerise had met him, too lazy to fit his belt through all the belt loops on his baggy jeans. Sophie, who sat up late at night finishing papers and already kept to file for college applications, did not even bother to defend him to Cerise. Cerise loved those boys, and Mason and Connor loved her. She had some hand in their shining futures. When Mason came home from his second year at college in December, he came to the apartment to deliver a Christmas gift. Mrs. Griffin always sent a basket of perfect fruit and tiny jam jars and remembered how much Cerise loved chocolate and tucked a gift certificate into the card. Mason stood at the door, taking in the living room. The sofa bed where Cerise slept and her dresser and a coffee table that had once belonged to his family and a Persian carpet, faded but real, that Cerise had asked for when Mrs. Griffin redid her family room. 
As long as the huge basket was in his arms, Mason was awkward, ashamed to recognize these possessions in their new surroundings. He looked at Cerise as if she were misplaced in this crowded room. After Cerise took the basket from Mason, they sat in the kitchen having coffee. He told her how cold it was in Boston in winter and admitted, when she pressed him, that he didn't do well in all his classes. He shrugged. They don't interest me. I don't bother much. Hard to imagine something that didn't interest him. In the span of half an hour, he informed her that the development of dwarf wheat had saved one billion people in India from starvation, that in Idaho it was illegal to give another person more than 50 pounds of chocolate as a gift, that Alzheimer's disease was caused by plaque forming in the brain. He asked how she liked nursing. She had spent more than a decade happily at his beck and call. He would understand. They want you to get so many patients processed in an hour, she said. And it's no point just getting through your day. It's if this one feels better with a little lipstick on and you can sit to look at a picture they want to show you, just for a minute. When Sophie got home from her shift at the drugstore, three more afternoons a week when she could be with Jackson, she did not sit with them but stood in the kitchen doorway in the blue vest she was required to wear at work, giving sullen answers to Mason's questions about where she was thinking of going to school and tugging at the name tag on her vest. You'd like Harvard, he said. To get into Harvard, Sophie said. You have to spend your summer doing volunteer work in France or building clinics in Costa Rica. Mason gave Cerise another look of apology. He said, I went to Belgium. Sophie smirked and left to take a shower. She knew everything already, Sophie did. Mason was gone by the time Sophie came back to the kitchen, her long hair a wet cord trailing over her shoulder to poke at the gift basket. Cerise was sitting by the window having a cigarette, swatting smoke so it wouldn't blow into the room. That's Swiss chocolate, Cerise said. Sophie read the ingredients on the package, her face keen with suspicion, and then tore it open to inspect the chocolate. See that, she said. It's gone white. That means it's been exposed to heat. It's no good anymore. You have to throw it out. With the boys, Cerise had to do things their mother's way, striving to hover near that mark, as if she were never really alone with them, and this was what she could save back, hoard, for Sophie, that delicious feeling of going home on the bus to just us two. Sometimes when she was kept late at the Griffins and had to serve the boys a quick dinner, Cerise would pick Sophie up from a friend's house at seven or so, and she would be too tired to make another meal, and even if Sophie had school the next day, they'd stop at Blockbuster on the way home to pick up a video, popcorn, and those spicy red candies, hot tamales. Getting back on the bus with Sophie's hand closed in hers, Cerise would crave the moment when they'd enter the apartment. They'd make the popcorn and pull out the sofa bed and arrange pillows at their backs and curl up together to watch some girl movie and sink into the happiness of no more to do for the day, laughing at the movie or hiding from each other their sniffles at the sad parts. To get up from that bed, a boat in an ocean, seemed hardly possible, and though they didn't talk much, their exchanges were intensely solicitous. Oh, you stay put. I'll make the popcorn. No, you let me get up this time. I'll get the ashtray for you, Mama. After the boys started high school, the Griffins helped Cerise get a place at the nursing home as what they called a personal care technician, which didn't require taking courses or administering the correct doses of medication. No need to sweat over words and numbers that clumped into knots or to worry over giving an injection. If an air bubble got in the syringe, you could kill someone. 
When Cerise thanked Mrs. Griffin for helping her find the job, Mrs. Griffin said she was the one who had to be grateful for all Cerise had given her boys, a gift. It was like giving Sophie a gift to hand her the checkbook and the bills at the end of every month. She was such a whiz. She did all the calculations in her head and staggered the bills so Cerise would never bounce a check. At ten, Sophie had relished this evidence of her competence. Even now, when she rushed through the chore, she never made a mistake. While they sat at the table, Sophie filling in checks and handing them over for a signature, Cerise asked if there was enough in the bank account to cover the extra checks Sophie would write in January for her college application fees. Sophie said she would narrow her list to five. Is five enough? Cerise said. You could stop smoking for a month, Sophie teased, and then I could do six. Oh, I should, Cerise said, and I could put off getting new shoes. That's another sixty dollars. If Cerise bought a cheaper pair of orthopedic shoes for work, they wore out so fast she saved nothing by it, and cheap shoes made her bunions hurt. Oh, get the damn shoes, Sophie said. Cerise apologized. I just want to see you set up right. No mistakes. Sophie proved that she knew what Cerise was getting at by putting her hands over her ears, her response whenever Cerise tried to talk to her about sex, which was proof she was too young for that. Like any two women living in the same household, they got their periods at about the same time, and every month Cerise would find in the wastebasket reassurance that Sophie's period had come too. You have to be careful now, Cerise said. Don't worry, Sophie said. I'm not going to end up wiping butts my whole life. She could croon an angry old man into holding still for a sponge bath, intimacy to which both of them must submit. The first few times Cerise gave Mr. Peterson a sponge bath, he smacked a fist on the basin of water and soaked the bed. She had to change the sheets later anyway, and he had a right to be angry. Why did you have to continue to care for the body long after its offerings had dwindled to punishment and humiliation? It made no difference. It made no difference that this one's children came every weekend and that one's children did not. It made no difference that this one would pass soon and that one might spend years in the same dim room with the dusty blinds serrating the light from the narrow window. All of them hidden their fists, some last little thing they could not yet give up. Cerise got Mr. Peterson to yield to her by degrees, let him soap himself at first, knowing his body would outmaneuver his will, not with its power to punish, but with its hunger for relief. She had to hold his hand to lift his arm for washing, and he wanted someone to hold his hand. When she drew the soapy sponge over the pouching skin of his chest, the ridged scar on his belly, the steel-wool bristle of his pubic hair, she swaddled him in a haze of tenderness. Oh, honey, oh, sweetie, almost done. Even wasted flesh wanted that tender touch. Cerise had practice at the patience she needed once Sophie turned sixteen. Her marvel of a girl woke up one day to rail as if all along she'd been waiting for the chance to lodge a complaint, and when Cerise came back from work she'd better hear it and not flinch. Not flinch, even when she got home late after seeing the podiatrist about her bunions, and Sophie hadn't even started dinner. Sophie really got going when they sat down to their meal of Stouffer's macaroni and cheese. My English teacher wants us to write a paper on how we can relate to Hamlet's confusion about life, and we have to use real examples. 
The teachers are such ghouls prying into your personal life. If you want to get an A, you have to spill your guts. And my math teacher puts new problems on the board and says, I bet even Sophie can't figure out this one because he's got to show he still knows more than I do. I'm required by law to spend eight hours with these people, and then I get to go to work. These customers hand you a dozen coupons, and if you tell them it's only the 14-ounce bottle of conditioner and not the 32-ounce bottle that's on sale, they wave the coupon at you like it's the Magna Carta. It's just so right here, right here. Whenever Cerise interrupted to ask a question, wasn't this the English teacher Sophie liked? Couldn't she write a paper about something else? What was the Magna Carta? Sophie said, you never let me finish a sentence. You never listen. Even Jackson couldn't escape Sophie's scorn. Sophie said, He comes over this afternoon with his dog, and he says he could kill the dog with his bare hands, and he wants me to bet him. He'd do it for 20 bucks. And I'm like, Yeah, Jackson, I would be so impressed. I don't want you alone here with him, Cerise said. Why? What do you think will happen? You get the dishes tonight, Cerise said. I'm on my feet all day. Sophie said, I have homework. My feet are so bad the doctor says I have to have surgery. You didn't even start dinner before I came home. Sophie held an imaginary violin under her chin and pretended to draw a bow across it. I'm on my feet all day and I come home to slave over a meal and my selfish daughter doesn't even care how I'm suffering. I didn't say that, Cerise said. Yes, you did. You know just how to say it. Cerise got up from the table. I don't want to argue, she said. But Sophie followed her from the kitchen to the living room and back again. Sophie wanted her to admit she was in the wrong. Cerise took her cigarettes and went out to the landing on the back stairs, where only one person could fit, and Sophie opened the kitchen window and stuck her head out and kept at her. Cerise was such a coward she wouldn't even say why she didn't want Jackson in the house, and she didn't have any reason not to like him, and she was warping Sophie, warping her by not trusting her. Cerise went back inside and passed Sophie to the bathroom, where she locked the door. Sophie thumped frantically on the door, yelling at her. Cerise tried not to smoke in the house, but if Sophie would not leave her in peace on the landing, then she could sit on the edge of the bathtub and light another cigarette. Sophie finally went away, but she came back to push slips of paper under the door. Cerise knew it would be more of the same written on those pieces of paper, and still she laughed. Just picture Sophie at the table, tongue between her teeth, her hand zigzagging furiously across the page. Sophie had transformed herself from the relentless creature at the door into a daughter who could not let go. Girls went through a phase of hating their mothers. Sophie was so smart, Cerise didn't have to worry when she found the marijuana tucked inside a sock in her daughter's top drawer. When her daughter brought home a scruffy man of 20 who might pocket her virginity but could never outwit Sophie's careful plans for college when her daughter tried to badger her into screaming back. The day Cerise found the dope, she knew she was looking in the wrong place for the wrong thing. If she found a disc of birth control pills, there'd be no point in warning Sophie to be careful with that boy, would there? Cerise waited a few weeks before she spoke to Sophie. She asked her if she had ever tried marijuana, if there was pressure from the other kids. Sophie said, you smoke. Cerise did not know what to say to that, how to make Sophie behave like a scolded child. Sophie didn't always badger her. Sometimes on Friday nights, they still rented a video and pulled out the sofa bed and banged their heels on the mattress and hollered, No one can make me do nothing, nothing. And that Thursday night, they were having a good time, 
Sophie had made golden tofu for dinner and brought home from work some moleskin pads for Cerise's bunion. She had washed the dishes before she started her homework. Cerise was in the living room, ironing her uniform, when Sophie called from the bedroom for her to come quick. This spider was a big one, high up on the wall, and Cerise had to stand on the bed to squish it. Its plump body crunched under her finger, leaving a rusty smear on the wall. Sophie screamed. She wanted proof the spider was dead. Cerise had to show her the flattened body on the paper towel before she threw it into the overflowing wastebasket in the bathroom. Sophie said she would not be able to sleep in her bed tonight if Cerise did not clean the stain, so Cerise got some disinfectant from the kitchen and sponged from the wall all those invisible eggs. Now wash your hands, Sophie said. Wash your hands. Sophie followed Cerise to the kitchen to watch her wash her hands, and then she followed her back to the living room. Thank you, Mom. Thanks. Her patients thanked Cerise all the time. Out of gratitude confided little secrets, complaints and sorrows that were not the ones that mattered. Sophie stood too close to Cerise at the ironing board, crowding her. What, Cerise said, what is it? Jackson wants me to go to school here, or go to community college with him. He's thinking of starting. He wants us to stay together. Shame you mailed off all those applications, Cerise said, wrote all those checks. Sophie sneered. You're so hopeless at this, so transparent. Cerise had to nudge Sophie to get her to stand back. You have anything you want me to press while I've got the iron out? You don't have to wait on me. You bring me a few things. Sophie went to her room and brought back some blouses and two pairs of jeans. Thanks, Mom, thanks. Honey, Cerise said, do you love him? Sometimes. Sophie heaved a great sigh, the kind of sigh for which she would pounce on Cerise. Sometimes he's just someone I hooked up with in high school. Everybody knows that can't last. That's not how life works. Cerise thought of how well the boys had turned out, with so little trouble. She set down the iron and pulled her warm uniform from the ironing board, shaking it out before she slipped it on the hanger. I want you to be happy, Cerise said. I always want that. I think I'm pregnant, Sophie said. One day, Cerise and Sophie would be friends again, and don't think of it. Cerise put down the iron when Sophie said she thought she might be pregnant. Sophie waited. Then she said, So now what? The desire to retaliate flashed in Cerise so strong, she knew she should not speak. She went out onto the landing. She felt vindicated for not giving up a month of cigarettes so Sophie could send off another application. Sophie had made her sit down to fill in the financial aid form, sign here, 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 and Cerise had hesitated each time because if she didn't concentrate, she might mess up Sophie's neat pages. A thank you was all it took for Sophie to sucker Cerise. Oh, and the rush to kill the spider to do the one thing for Sophie that she could not do better for herself. So Sophie wouldn't have to shudder at the sight. Cerise had pushed the crumpled paper towel down into the overstuffed wastebasket. Now she meditated on that mess. Thick packets wadded with toilet paper. Squeamish Sophie wrapped her sanitary napkins over and over again to seal off what they contained. Cerise was afraid she would give out on Sophie, like maybe she had only so many years of mothering in her, and she'd signed on for a job she did not have the heart to finish. She did not want to wonder why her daughter would tell her such a vicious lie any more than she wanted to know why Sophie was afraid of spiders. 
Instead of trying not to think about it, Sophie searched for reasons to cement her dread. She went on the Internet and reported to Cerise. There was a spider in Australia the size of a dinner plate, and it ate birds. And what would you do if you were walking along and one dropped on you from a tree? Another spider laid its eggs in the bodies of the insects it trapped in its web so the babies could feed on the host when they hatched. When Cerise came inside, Sophie had taken her place at the ironing board and was running the iron over her blouse, wrinkling the fabric because she did not know how to tug the cuff so the sleeve would not crease. Let me do that, Cerise said. Reflex for Cerise to take the iron from Sophie and patiently start over on the blouse. Instinct to take comfort from the young body so close beside her she could smell the lavender conditioner in Sophie's hair, see the fine down at her jawline, long to submit to the easy generosity one body could summon from another, and lie down inside her daughter's wishes with her. Again Sophie waited for Cerise to say something. Cerise finished the sleeve and began running the iron over the front of the blouse, steering it in and out between the buttons. You're not pregnant, Cerise said. What would you know about it, Sophie said. When did you ever have the satisfaction? She stood so brutally close. Lie down with me here. You get yourself tangled up with him, Cerise said. What will you get for it? He's not going to college in the fall. He's not going ever. He's not fit for you. You think he doesn't know that? You think he doesn't know nothing attached to him can get very far? Sophie tugged at the shirt. But Cerise would not lift the iron. A burning smell rose from the fabric. Cerise watched the cloth begin to brown. Sophie watched, too, her hands suspended in air, as if she had no choice but to stand there. Mama, she said softly, you'll ruin it. When Cerise finally lifted the iron to set it upright, there was her daughter's hand, still hovering, and she swung the iron so its tip would just kiss that outstretched hand. The iron spit when it came in contact with the warm, moist flesh. Sophie didn't cry out. She gripped her wrist and held her hand before her as if she had to study the triangular imprint the iron had left, erasing the crisscrossing lines on the skin of her palm, searing a fresh new blank, a clean slate. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.